Welcome back to the Me Sweet Podcast. I'm Donna Peters. Let's get in there. In 63% of couples with kids, both parties work. And we know from some recent Harvard Business Review research that when both parties in the couple are working, the relationship typically takes on one of three roles. The first is a primary-secondary relationship where one person in the couple has the prime career and the other person has more of a secondary supportive career. The second form that your dual career family may take is called turn-taking, where person one may right now have the most important career and the other person backs them up. And then maybe in three to five years from now, the other person in the couple's career takes primacy. That's called turn-taking. And then the third construct of a dual career family is called double primary. And that means both individuals in that couple have equally important careers that they are constantly trying to juggle and support. It matters because there's additional data from the University of Chicago that indicates that in families where the female is the breadwinner in a male-female relationship, those relationships are 50% more likely to end in divorce. And we also know from research, when the female is the main breadwinner, that woman is doing about seven and a half additional hours of domestic work in the household. In huge contrast to data suggesting that when the male is the primary breadwinner in the dual career family, they're twice as likely to participate in no domestic support. Now, let's flip over just for a moment to same-sex couples, dual career families, same-sex. The data indicates that those relationships are doing a better job, a more equitable job of both balancing the career trajectories of the two parties in the couple, as well as balancing the household responsibilities. So it was really important for me to find a guest who could really help us unpack some of the complexities of managing a dual career family. And I have today, and I'm thrilled to invite Liz Brigham to the Me Suite. Liz is the director of the Hurt Hub at Davidson for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. She has had a career deep in product development, product marketing, chief marketing officer roles in the software space. Liz was a top 50 product marketing influencer. She was product marketing leader of the year. She has been a mentor to so, so many. She is a mom of two boys and a wife in a dual career family, of course. And I'm thrilled to welcome Liz Brigham to the Me Suite. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. I'm just thrilled to be here with you today. <laughs> so what did you think about that data? Even though you know, the data walked through very clearly, these are the three distinct characterizations of primary, secondary, turn-taking, all of that. I see it a little bit more fluidly. Oh, great. Some seasonality to these where it's not so uh, binary or in this case, three different options. So I'd love to get into that with you too. We will definitely get into that. And thank you for that reflection. We're going to start where we usually start though. I want to, I want the listeners to be grounded in your core values. I'm hoping that something around getting energy from music or something is in there because <laughs> I, I am aware that you are avid about music and it also a very accomplished musician. I hope I hear that in your core values somewhere. Well, thank you. <laughs> 
They're more phrases than they are words. Love it. So, and the first one, I, I can't lay claim to. It actually comes from, I, when I was growing up, I spent you know 14 years in educational environment with some very social justice-minded Sacred Heart nuns. Uh, and the, the Sacred Heart tradition in St. Louis. And so goal three of, of that community is a social awareness that impels to action. Okay. And that is a theme that I've had my entire life. And I want to break that down in that social awareness side. I'm very extroverted, very people oriented. I love creating community and empathy is something that I talk a lot about and and really value and understanding people's stories. Maybe that's why I love your podcast so much. <laughs> but that that key other portion of a social awareness that impels, love mm. that word, impels to action. You, that bias towards action, taking action on something, you can't just be a bystander. So I really like to take the learnings and understanding of different people and that empathy and then build something off of that, whether that's in my personal life or in my career and developing yeah. products or teams or other things. So that that's a, a through line for me. Yeah. Second is something from my mom. And th- this, I believe, I think it was in your, your book, Donna, as well, or a similar construct to this is luck comes to the prepared mind. Uh-huh. And that speaks to my value of education, growth mindset, continuous learning and insatiable curiosity. Yeah. But also, I love the idea, and maybe this is kind of my maturation of this term over the last you know, 20 so years, but thinking about feedback is a gift and are you prepared to receive that gift? So it's not just preparation insofar as the academic or educational components of it, but have you done the self-reflection? Have you opened that window, so to speak, that you can receive whatever that luck tends yeah. to be? Yeah. I love it. That, that's really important. Yeah. And then the third piece, uh, my favorite Disney movie is Mary Poppins. And so in every job there is to be done, there is an element of fun. So really thinking about how do you enjoy yourself or how do you have these moments of of joy, but thinking about in everything that you do, whether you're working with a team, whether you're with your family, how do you infuse that fun and perhaps a bit of song into Uh, Okay. Those are my three. When you were getting ready for work this morning, were you listening to music? Yes, in fact. Like always? Every, so generally my, my husband is the one to, to get up early and he traditionally puts on some sort of soundtrack or pump up songs in the morning. Okay. This morning it happened to be Toto's Africa, just also my karaoke <laughs> go-to. Nice. <laughs> All right. I was, I was singing <laughs> and, and my children are very used to that we just always have a soundtrack going, so. So Liz, one reason I wanted to talk to you in particular about dual career families is you and I both come from dual career families where we had moms with careers, dads with careers. So let's go back a moment to how you think that experience of you growing up in a dual career family maybe shapes the experiences you have and the your the approach that you've taken. How did that influence you? Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's really interesting as well of people of our generations, I'll just say it that way, uh, that wasn't necessarily the norm. And in fact, Mm. I remember in my elementary school, in the entire school, you know, preschool through sixth grade, my mom was one of the only moms who was working outside the home. Yeah. 
that was just the 80s and what was going on there. And Mm -hmm. similarly, my mom was the first one in her family to go to college and came from a very hard working where, you know, education and work ethic were two of the things that were very highly valued in her family. Mm-hmm. And so those values, and we talked about core values already, but you know, those, the luck comes to the prepared mind uh, and that value of education and, and hard work and grit and perseverance or something that were just sort of baked into my soul mm-hmm. as I was, you know, as I was being reared and raised. And so going into a relationship, a marriage, that was what I knew. Yeah. So for me, that was that was just the expectation mm-hmm. that yes, I'm going to have a career. Both of my parents are also CPAs. So the idea around financial options mm. and independence and making sure that regardless of whatever happened, that you still had uh, the choice and the wherewithal and the agency to make your own money, to you wow. know, make some of those decisions for yourself. And, and save and do the right things, you know, all yeah. along the way. So I think that's just a really important piece of context to overlay. Mm-hmm. I personally never thought that an option for myself would be uh, staying home full time. Mm-hmm. That was just that that was just a choice that that I made and something that frankly before my husband and I got married we you know, had to have that conversation because yeah. he came from a, a different upbringing where his dad was you know working outside the home as a doctor primary breadwinner and his mother stayed home and took care of everything in the home which was wonderful but I think he also grew up around really s- strong and driven women uh-huh. too, who were independent and independently minded. So we at least had that going for us already. Yeah. But yeah, so he decided to marry one. <laughs> he married a strong yeah, and independent exactly. woman. Yeah. Right. So so what you you know you marry what you know. You know yeah. like that, that, that kind of there's as my grandmother said, there's a lid for every jar. But you know, so <laughs> there being that uh, so, so he already had that sort of environment and ethos of you know strong, independent-minded women, mm-hmm. and for for me that that also came in the the way of financial independence and the importance of career. Yeah, well, we had a little bit of a dialogue around the research of primary, secondary career families. Was yours more? Your parents were they more dual primary, where they you would have seen them having conversations about the equal importance of their careers. Yes, and and even more so. I mean, my mom was the primary breadwinner in in the majority of, for the majority of their relationships. So yeah, but then the importance of career, I think, doesn't necessarily always correlate to that just financial mode. Sure. It's just personally what value does career place in your life? Yeah, and for them, it was that dual dual primary. Yeah. There must be a research project in here for us because my mother was also for a large portion of my growing up was a primary breadwinner in my house too. But my parents both Mm. had equally, I'd call them dual primary careers. And I have a story that my mother still tells to this day and she just turned 81 years old. She tells a story about me in daycare because I, I grew up in daycare. I was in daycare my entire childhood <laughs> until I could be home by myself. Yeah, I was too. <laughs> she tells a story of going and picking me up at daycare and I called the daycare woman mama. And when mm. I called the daycare woman mama, my mother worked night shift for the next two years. Mm. She was in the wow. medical field, so she could work nights or days in the medical field. And because I called the daycare woman mama, 
my mother took night shift mm. work to be home with me in the day, and then my dad was with me at night. And I think about that a lot because it meant, well, what about their relationship? Right? They were two right. ships passing in the night. Literally. I mean, wow. I think about that a lot, just the impact on dual career relationships of you know, raising the kids and if your careers have dual primary roles because you, how do you find time to nurture your own relationship? So, Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. I'd, my parents both traveled a lot for their work as well and uh, internationally. So okay. for, when I was in you know, kindergarten through maybe second or third grade, my mom was the um, director of international investor relations for a multinational publicly traded, you know, fortune 25 company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she was in Zurich or Tokyo or New York or Argentina or, or wherever. And mm-hmm. my dad was uh, managing some chemical plants and other things in Mexico city and other places around the country. And so there was, it takes a village. Yeah. You know, to your point about yeah. whether it's daycare or nannies or my entire extended family all lived within five miles of each other, you know, grandparents or aunts and uncles or or whomever is coming to pick you up. And so that, uh, yeah, that has a lot of effect. Yeah. I think on how we're, how we're raised, what we value. And I think too, if you can see it work Mm. and you felt safe as a kid, then all the more so that you're like, well, this, this track, Uh. Uh-huh. works for me too. I think had I had a different experience where I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel mm-hmm. nurtured or I didn't feel like people were showing up for me, then I probably would have taken a different path. Uh-huh. But I, I always felt like I had I had the resources, yeah. I had the love, I had the compassion that I needed to, to feel safe. So dual career families. So let's yeah. start with a few of the stats. So you have been a couple for how long? We'll have been married 14 years this August, but we have been together since 2004, so about almost 19 years. Okay. And in, in through that time, you both were managing what I'll call aggressive careers. Is that true? Yes. Right. And, and grad school and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Through the grad school. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. You have an MBA from University of Michigan, the Ross School. And so you both, as partner A and partner B, have known that careers were going to be very important to the both of you individually, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. And then when did the kids come into the picture? So uh, Jack was born in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we about 10 years, almost 10 years into our relationship, five years into our marriage. And then Nicholas followed soon thereafter, 17 okay. months later. So. <laughs> okay. All right, Nicholas. Okay. So, uh, so I was just ch- double checking for the listeners that you do qualify as a dual career family. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. And I love what you said earlier about you were seeing those three Harvard Business Review research categories of how to live in a dual career family a little bit differently. So let's just jump into that. Why, why sure. did you respond that you were seeing yourself more as a dual career family as more a seasonality journey? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So that I'll, I'll take them individually and kind of morph them right. onto our relationship timeline. So the primary secondary dual career I think about, so we met in in 2004, Mm -hmm. we were both working, dating, city of Chicago, wonderful time to to be together. And then I went and did my MBA at the University of Michigan in 07 to 09. And while we hadn't merged finances, so to speak, 
we were still doing long distance. I was not making any income. Yeah. Michael was, right? So the, any vacations we were taking or gifts we were giving or anything like that, that was very much a, his career was primary in that sense. My career, although I was still building up and getting educated, yeah. I didn't have any financial income coming in. You know, In okay. fact, there was out, outflows for Versus inflows yeah. in that particular state, right? Paying, paying tuition. And then eventually when I got my job offer to go back to Disney and there was a decision to be made, well, I'm, are you in or are you out? I'm going to LA. You know, that, that yeah. was, uh, I, I'm a little flippant about it now, but yeah. that was the general gist of it. And Michael proposed. And so we decided, okay, great. So I graduated in May, started in June in LA. Mm. Michael left his job in Chicago in financial services, moved out to LA and had to start over, uh, basically find a new job. So I was in that sense, in that seasonality, we flipped. Then I was primary Uh uh, on the career side while he was looking for a job. He quickly secured a job in financial services again, realized that it wasn't a great fit. And then he decided to go to grad school, Pepperdine. So I'd say that was that season. And then when he graduated, he had an opportunity for a role in Portland, Oregon, and we had family up there. And so we had to make the decision of, well, at the time, working remotely was not a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. This is 2012 and uh, trying to figure that out. And um, I could not move my job with Disney up to Portland. And so we decided, okay, well, let's move up to Portland. Michael started a new job there. I found a new job. And in that season, then we were nearly on equal footing in terms of finances. Um, So that double primary role kind of came into that season of our lives. Right when I actually was on maternity leave, maybe this will resonate with some people, a private equity firm came and nearly gutted the company that I was, the software company that I was working for in Mm. Portland. So I got a phone call in the midst of maternity leave that, not that I I still had a job, but nearly all of our senior leadership team um, had been asked to leave. Wow. And so, you know, (laughs) we have an 18 month old and a six week old. Yeah. And my husband's career was was really taking off. He had just joined uh, a company called Salesforce and, you know, had a yeah. lot of be there, was kind of taking off in his career. And I quickly realized I need to find another job. Okay. <laughs> you know? So my husband and I really thought about, in this moment, stability versus risk. Okay. And through some contacts that I had, previous bosses at Disney, I had gotten connected to a startup in Chicago. And very excitingly, this startup was working on building all the technology for Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016. Wow. And so that, and it was all former Obama staffers and the gentleman that I'd be working for was one of the sort of grandfathers of political Twitter. It just ticked all the boxes because Mm. on a time in my High school life, I was a congressional page and had worked in politics and really was in that social awareness that impels to action, you know, yeah. political activity and community engagement was a big part of that. We took a calculated risk. Unfortunately, that risk did not pay off in the okay. way that we anticipated. And that startup ran out of funding a week before Christmas 2016. Wow, what great timing. Yes. <laughs> so uh no severance. Okay. No, you know, it was kind of 
filing for unemployment and COBRA and all these things. And I think I knew that or, you know, anticipated that certainly in the risk calculation, but I'm a, a serial optimist as well. So uh-huh. I'm not fully understood the gravity of that until you're faced with it. Yeah. And so that's why I think there's a really interesting conversation of what goes around between stability and risk yeah. in this career household. So Liz, in that story, you told several examples where there were these moments where key decisions had to be made. You had the story about you being in school, then your husband goes to school, you get a job opportunity, he gets a job opportunity, there's babies mixed in this equation, moving, changing cities, lots of decisions. Do I go left or do I go right? What do you do inside your family to make these decisions? This has taken many different modes over the years. We we really like to go hiking and be outdoors. Oh. And so when we sometimes when we've done date days, my husband and I will go on four or five, six mile hikes and talk through these issues. Sometimes if we don't have that much leisure time or mm-hmm. a time to go take the hike, we have multiple whiteboards in our house. And, Totally fine with being a geek like that. But, uh, I think we mostly procured them through COVID, but that, you know, yeah. either a piece of paper or a whiteboard and the pros and cons, we are both extroverts and love to talk things out. And I love okay. that about our relationship, but we do have really good communication that way. Mm-hmm. And then I think for both of us, we also have our own personal sort of board of directors or friends that we uh, will talk to. Yeah get some of those ideas, get some information, and then come back and make a decision. We, I don't, you know, it's not always perfect, right? You, you yeah. make the decision with the information that you have at, at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. But especially since we had children, adding in that factor of, well, how is this going to affect the boys? Uh-huh. So the family dinner table for us is a sacred space. Uh-huh. No technology. We have face-to-face conversation, and we've been doing that ever since the boys were very little. Wow! So that, that is, in terms of family meeting, those are some of the ways that across all of these seasons and all these decisions, be it you know out in nature or around food and around the dinner table, uh-huh. that we like to have these types of conversations, and and then ultimately we make the decision. Yeah. And what about the sweetener for the listeners? I think this idea of a team charter. It was a construct that I learned in business school and I've used in in various professional settings. And then just recently, I heard this concept of um, a statement of grace that I, I really, really loved. And the premise is effectively going back to the top of our podcast what are your core values with your spouse or your partner or whomever you're going through life with? What are we trying to achieve? What shared mm-hmm. goals? And those can be pretty broad or they can be more specific depending on the season again. What are our communication norms? How will we communicate? How often? What does that look like? And what yeah. settings? And then kind of the, the expectations of quality as well. Mm-hmm. What are when do you when do we know that we're 
heading in a direction that aligns with those core values? When do we know when we're off course? And then ultimately, how will we resolve those issues? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, again, that I have specifically written down, you know, with my husband, but in various stages, we've, we've verbalized all of these things and, and we have this wonderful balance that way. Yeah. So if you had one hour free show up and you could use it only for you, which I suspect is challenging based on what you've talked about in your dual career family life, what would you do with that hour that is only for you? Oh, man. Well, maybe one of two things. One, I'm a Peloton person too. So music and movement, which talked about. There we go. Okay. Probably get on the bike and 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 have some exercise to some really great tunes. Mm-hmm. Two, I may sit down, play the piano, play the guitar, mess around, make a playlist. Or three, get out into nature. Oh wow, awesome! Well, I'm hoping that maybe the listener was today out in nature or on the Peloton while they were listening to your episode. <laughs> Uh, You've given us an awful lot to think about on, I think, what is a really, really important topic and the data shows it needs more attention. I know you have inspired listeners to think about the different seasons that ebb and flow in their relationship in a dual career family. Thank you so much. This is Liz Brigham, everybody, in the Me Suite. Thank you, Donna. Until the next topic, this is Donna Peters. Thank you for joining me in the Me Suite. 